0: Good morning. We're listing again. <laughs> what did you guys say?
1: <laughs>
0: I, I really feel bad about that. <laughs> oh, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Hebrews 11.10 Pastor George taught in the adult class. Thank you very much, George. I found it profitable this morning. You're welcome, sir. I saw that
2: hand.
0: (laughs) Coming, Studies in the Confession. No choir, no evening service tonight. Take note, the baby bottle drive is on. If you haven't gotten yours, you can get one. Fill it for the fundraiser. Men's Bible study, Tuesday, 10 a.m., prayer meeting Wednesday at 7. We need to elect messengers for the family conference, June 22 through 24 in Ohio. Wow, is it family conference time already? Yeah. Uh, you see the note of the director, we talked about that last week, so get ready. George is gonna be taking the pictures or you can email a picture to George and actually I think that might save some time.
2: We did bring our camera
0: today. Hey. Um, acts and Facts and Days of Praise are here on the foyer table along with flyers for camp coming in July. I, I know that July is coming because I can I see Laura focusing. <laughs> she She works on it literally all year but Anyway, next Sunday is communion service, and then uh, no no dinner uh, after the service. All right, anything we've forgotten, omitted, ignored? The scripture for meditation, then, is Psalm 2. Read Psalm 2. Let's stand together and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Kyle, can I ask you a question? sure? <clears throat> Great. be with those folks in this congregation who are suffering illnesses, and pray you be with them and heal them up, if that be your will. I pray you you allow one person this morning that doesn't know you to hear your voice and come forth in the waters of baptism. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Amen.
3: Amen. Remain standing. 18 in the hymnal this morning, as we start service and song. Dr. Ed, right away. As soon as we sat five, down, seven, four. five seven four in the brown doesn't have too many. What was it? If it doesn't have too many, have too many flats, is it okay? She says it's okay. Why have you chosen that this morning for us to sing?
1: if they turn away from
0: reading this morning is Hebrews chapter 11 and we'll be reading verses 8 through 16.
2: whose architect and builder is God. By faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered himself faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared a city for them
3: may god bless his word unto ourselves
1: 572
3: in the brown hymnal Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, Pastor wanted me to explain a little bit about next Sunday's, uh, starting Sunday school in the confession. Um, this is the elders we had discussed that we probably need a refresher on what we believe. And so we have purchased um, a box of the 1680, uh, 1689 confessionals. We're going to pass those out to uh, families and we're going to study that. And um, we're going to use this also for, for those that are recently brought into the church. And so that Sunday school class is going to be a combined class uh, for those individuals as well as the adults to study those things. So we encourage you to come out, because if you've ever wanted to know what we believe, this is it. I think sometimes in our, in our lives we, we join things without knowing what it actually believes. I hope that's not the case when it comes to your church. So we're going to study the things in depth. Um, and it's going to take us a little bit of time to do so, because it's a, it's a lengthy document. Okay, so that starts with an introductory lesson next week, and the week following we kind of dive right into it, and we'll go from there. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer. We're going to talk today about patriotism. I'll just leave it at that for right now. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for today. We are thankful for our country that you have provided for us. We thank you for the United States of America and what you have done in its relatively short history on this planet. We thank you for the grace that, for each one of us to be born here in this country and for us to be citizens here. We thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. We also thank you, Lord, for the current protection we have to worship you without fear of reprisal. And as much as we enjoy that freedom here in America, Lord, there are many of your people throughout this world who do not enjoy that. But our trust is not in our government, Lord. Our trust is in you, as well as our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted today. Their trust is in you. Father, I ask that you would bless our time as we study your word and we look at our great country and the even greater country that is yet to come. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. we are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to to dedicate a portion of it as a final resting place for those who died here, that the nation might live. This we may in all propriety do, but in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have hallowed it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, while it can never forget what they did here. It is rather for us the living, we here be dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they here gave the last full measure of devotion that we have here highly resolved that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. And you may recognize these words as Abraham Lincoln's immortalized Gettysburg Address, delivered on November 19, 1863, 16 years after our church building was constructed. Lincoln's words were short that day, as he was not even the main speaker for the afternoon. But they have endured, even in defiance of his own pronouncement, many years following their utterance. This weekend, we memorialize Americans' fallen soldiers. We honor the men and women that have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country, and because of their sacrifice, we enjoy the continued freedoms of our great land. Brethren, it is of paramount importance that we remember that there remains a price for freedom. Founding father Thomas Jefferson said, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is its natural manure. Brethren, we are Americans. We were born here, but not of our own choice. We were placed here in this great land at this time of freedom by the will of God Almighty. And it is important that we indeed be patriotic. We live in the greatest, most powerful, most free, most religiously tolerant, most Christianly influenced nation in the world. And we have the right and the responsibility to defend America and her principles, whose underlayment was made by Christian men. But we do so not because of America's inherent value. No, we do so because of the grace of God bestowed upon our great land. It is God's great investment of his favor upon our nation that should cause us to defend her. America, as with all nations past, present, and future, is comprised of wicked and fallen people. In and of ourselves as a country, there is nothing about us that makes us different than any other nation in this world, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Americans have no more merit with God than the citizens of Nazi Germany. All are equally sinful because all are descendants of fallen Adam. And although I firmly believe that we as Christians should be patriotic for America, I truly believe that we become enamored with her, and by doing so, we lose our perspective on where our deepest loyalties should be found. Brethren, we are indeed Americans, but we are also Christians, citizens of God's country, Nay, even his family. There should and must be a deeper sense of patriotism, not for our country, but rather God's country. Today, we look at patriotism and its call to sacrifice from a biblical perspective, not merely from an emotional or sentimental one. Today, we remind ourselves of our true citizenship while honoring those who have given their lives to secure the freedoms of our temporary home. So well, what is patriotism? Merriam-Webster defines patriotism as love and devotion to one's country. Deep within every person is the desire to belong. We desire to belong to our families, to our groups of friends, to our church, to our communities, to even our workplaces. And ultimately, we desire to belong to our nation people find part of the definition of who they are by the groups with which they are associated. When we value the groups in which we belong, we desire to see that they are protected from harm. We defend our family members when they are threatened by others. We make sacrifices to keep our families together. We do things for the family that we wouldn't consider doing for others because they're family. And most people understand this concept. I dare say that our level of sacrifice for family members can bring and has brought people to give their lives for other family members. I dare say it is this protection for the family, for the family that we love, that extends all the way through the many levels of belonging. If the nation is threatened, then by extension, all the smaller circles of belonging are threatened right down to the family. But this is only part of where patriotism comes from. We may not only belong to the nation, but also believe in its ideals and values. There are certainly people living in every country that do not believe in the country's ideals or values. America included. These people are usually not very patriotic because they do not agree with what the country believes. They could almost care less about the state of the nation because they may believe they would be better off if the nation was redefined to align with their beliefs. And although this strikes at the core of some disturbing issues within our own country, we must also recognize there is another side of this idea. Patriotism can also manifest itself as blind allegiance. There can be a belief that your country is doing what is right simply because it is your country. Blind allegiance is easy to recognize in every other populace than your own. It was easy to see that Hitler's Germany under the Nazi regime was in the wrong for their anti-Semitic actions, right? Not for their own people. Many Germans were enamored by Hitler's strong and persuasive words. The belief system of the entire country changed in a relatively short amount of time, and the populace went right along with it for the most part. Is this a possibility for America? I believe so. Brethren, I would like us to examine our patriotism for America compared to our patriotism for our heavenly country. And I have a couple of questions for us to consider this morning. How were we founded? Why were we founded? If your answer to either of these questions starts with men doing something, you've missed the more important fact. God orchestrated the founding of the United States of America. He did so for his own good pleasure and for his own purposes. I dare say this is also true of every single nation that currently exists, has existed in the past, or will exist in the future. Our sovereign nation is not sovereign over God. God is sovereign over all the earth, including our country. This is fundamental in understanding real patriotism. Therefore, if this is true, what do we have here in America that we have not received? We have received everything. Concerning this tract of land we now occupy, God has this to say, Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Job 41 verse 11. Or how about, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. When it comes to ownership, all, everything is God's. We are all tenants of God's property. We are not a self-built nation of independent people. We are a God-built nation of completely dependent people. And we may have broken the ties of our parent country and the tyrannical King George III, but we have not, nor can we ever break, the ties of God's provision and control. We declared our freedom from the English monarchy, yet we are not free, nor shall we ever be free from God's dominion. No people can be, nor should any people want to be. As we have seen, patriotism in one's country depends on many factors. And one of these factors is the kind of government of the country. As we have already heard, our country is by the people and for the people. We are a democracy. We were not the first democracy, and we will probably not be the last. Nonetheless, for us as Americans, we take great pride in having ourselves represented in government by elected officials. We separated ourselves from a monarchy. Is it possible to be patriotic in a monarchy? I would easily venture that it is. But I would also say that patriotism wanes and strengthens due to the reputation of whatever government is in power. If we have good elected officials that truly represent the ideals and values of the governed, our sense of patriotism is strengthened. If there is a good monarch on the throne who has the best interest of the governed in mind, patriotism is probably strong as well. Replace either style of leadership with inept or malicious people and patriotism wanes. It is at this point that I will be venturing into ideas that are possibly unpopular at best and downright anti-American at worst. And first, I'll start by saying that democracy is not the biblically correct form of government. I know that may come as a shock to you. After all, we are the most blessed nation on earth and the, the closest to heaven, but our government is not biblical. To gain some needed godly perspective, we need to look in the scriptures. and Let's look at Israel's forms of government. Well, Israel first was a theocracy, kind of. A theocracy is a form of government with the people being directly, directly led by divine intervention. Following being led by Moses and subsequently Joshua, who in all actuality were being led by God himself, Israel settled in Canaan. At that time, they had no king. They had no established governing councils. They did have family heads or elders that represented each of the tribes, that's true. But as for a centralized, established governing body, there was none. Later, when Israel rebelled against God, he sent other nations to plunder them. And God, in his mercy, raised up judges to lead and deliver his people from danger. After the particular threats or purpose was dealt with, the judges' function would cease. And God tells us about this pattern in Judges 2, verses 11 through 19. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. And now verse 18. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways." Israel was unique in this form of government. Think about it. Only a nation whose builder and protector was God himself could have functioned in this way. If any other nation would have tried this under a false god, anarchy would have been the result. Later, Israel would demand a king. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second son, Abijah. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them, 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 through 9. I want us to see here that Israel did already have a king before they demanded one of Samuel. Verse 7 says they rejected God as king. They were already in a monarchy before they demanded to become one. They were not without government. God was their king and was actively functioning as such even though they could not perceive it. He was providing for them as well as sending correction for wayward citizens in the form of oppressing and plundering nations. God told Samuel to warn Israel about what a king would do to them. Reading on in 1 Samuel 8, Samuel said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties And some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be performers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants." He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and he shall, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. This has always been the way of earthly leaders. The king's will is supreme in the land. Have the king's favor and life is good, anger the king and you are dead. Israel's sordid history with their earthly kings ranged from good and godly kings who sought to please God and lead Israel in repentance and worship, to wicked kings who desired to exert their God-given authority in oppressive ways over the people of Israel, turning them to worship idols and forsaking God. Yet even with the first appointment of Saul as king, Israel remained a monarchy under God's rule. Saul, as well as every king that would follow, remained under the authority of the real king, God Almighty. Brethren, this is still true today. In all actuality, every government is functioning under the authority of God himself. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, He turns it wherever He will. Proverbs 21, verse 1. This is true of every person, from the simplest of us all the way to the President of the United States. The only authority in the realm of creation in its entirety is God Almighty. Of Him, the Scriptures say that by myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me, Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. Isaiah 45, verse 23. God delegates authority for a time to individuals to lead, and he does so in response to our rebellion of him. It is part of the curse that we need other people to rule over us. Due to our fallen state, there is a definite need for leadership. Think about your own heart. Well, if I was in power, I would do things differently. I would correct all sorts of issues. You know, we desire authority. We want other people to listen to us and to do what we want. We all want to be kings and queens. This is only one part of the issue of the curse. Those that are granted authority over others may lead poorly, either by ineptitude or by maliciousness. And those being led may refuse to follow even the most noble and gifted leaders. As we look today at our own patriotism, we must come to the realization that the best form of government is not one that is by the people and for the people, but rather by God and for God. Whether we come to agree with this statement or not does not negate its truth. God is currently reigning on high. He is actively ruling his creation even now. Nothing that transpires escapes his notice or control. In all actuality, everything has a purpose, and God is orchestrating all things. The pagan king Nebuchadnezzar said it best in Daniel 4, verses 34 and 35. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This means that above the paragon of virtue that is America, the perceived defender of the free world and the bastion of righteousness, there stands a truly holy God who has made America what she is today. She belongs to him, and any redeeming quality she may have, she owes all of it to the one who made her, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where then should we as Americans place our patriotism? If we have indeed seen that God's kingdom supersedes all other kingdoms, then those of us that are Christians must remember that our true citizenship is in heaven, not any place on earth. Concerning Abraham and the reason for his obedience to God, our scripture reading this morning of Hebrews 11 verses 8 and following tells us the following again. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of that same promise." For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Throughout history, we find Christians whose actions seem somewhat strange to the rest of the world, people who lived their lives differently than everyone else. Their focus was different. They didn't seem to care about what was important to most people. Indeed, even John Bunyan's story of Pilgrim's Progress illustrates the thinking of these very different people. And I'm sure you've met Christians like this. They are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, if there is such a thing. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Do we think like this? Is this world your home? Have you settled down and established roots here? And if you have, you have indeed settled. Settled for a country that is not the best land. You've settled for a form of freedom while neglecting real freedom. For if the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. You've settled your hope and trust in an antiquated and temporary government that cannot really protect its people. For if God wants to wipe us out, no armed force can stay his hand. You've settled your security in being governed by men who can change their minds about who is really the enemy at the drop of a hat. And history tells us that we as Christians are often quickly proclaimed by such governments as public enemy number one. Conversely, God has stated that he never changes and has said of his people, I have loved you with an everlasting love, Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. If we do feel as if this world is not our home, we are in good company with the fellow saints outlined in Hebrews 11. However, we need to remember that even our king himself did not call this world his home. Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Matthew 8, verse 20. Brethren, we must adopt the attitude of the apostles who in Acts 5.28 stated, We must obey God rather than men. And by saying and doing so, we demonstrate that our allegiance to God is greater than any earthly allegiance. Consider also the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they would not bow down to worship the nation's idol. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Daniel 3, verses 13 through 18. I believe, brethren, that the faith of these men stands as an indictment of our lack of faith. We have made peace with the idols of America without even putting up a fight. Are we identified as strangers in this land or are we seen as natives? What is it about your life that demonstrates that this country is not truly your home? I have mentioned that I do believe that we are living in the greatest earthly country. But I want to take this time this morning to compare our current country with Emmanuel's land. If we, ho- if we haven't been heavenly minded, I hope that by examining the differences between this great earthly country Against the greater heavenly country, I can help persuade your mind to focus on the latter rather than the former. First of all, I want us to consider the permanence of our residence. America is a young country by earthly standards. The United States will be 241 years old this July. That's certainly longer than anyone's lifespan, but there are many countries in the world today that are much older than we are. Egypt is ancient. Who knows if there are more years ahead of America than what has already transpired. But surely there is coming a time when America will indeed cease to exist. Maybe we will be conquered economically by the Chinese, or North Korea will develop its nuclear weapons and level our cities. Maybe we will slowly decline in power until we fade into obscurity, becoming part of the third world that we secretly despise. It really doesn't matter. The truth is, should America last until Christ comes again, it certainly won't last past his actions upon his triumphant return. There is a timer ticking against America, as with all things here in this corrupt world. But God's kingdom, as from the lips of Nebuchadnezzar, is an everlasting kingdom. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So is also the kingdom of heaven. It is higher not only in permanence, but also in purpose than any earthly kingdom, including America. And that is our second point. Our great country was designed to serve the average citizen in response to tyrannical abuse. As noble as this thought is, we have strayed from the design of this country, Our purpose seems to be now the freedom to do whatever is right in our own eyes. We pursue wealth unabashedly. We pursue perversion with unbridled passion. We protect the freedom of the individual to do what they want at the cost of the good of the whole of society with unequaled fervor. We were founded on godly principles by mostly godly men, but we now have to look very deeply to find God anywhere in our society. Our government slowly yet surely continues to remove God from itself. And although our currency may still read, In God we trust, it would be a truer statement if it read, We trust in this. You can also be sure that there are men working even now to remove this motto from our currency. Our purpose has changed. America was founded in part to escape religious persecution, and now almost a quarter millennia later, We have waged war on God. We really have made the saying true that this country is by the people and for the people. The problem is, the people are wicked. God's kingdom stands diametrically opposed to this purpose. Emmanuel's land is all about Emmanuel. This purpose has never changed and will never change. The lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. John five twenty first 23. Or earlier in John 3, starting at verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. God's focus is on the elevation and praise of his Son. This is the purpose of the heavenly kingdom. So different is the kingdom of God than any earthly kingdom that Jesus had to use many parables that taught us the difference between the two. We don't have time to look at all of them this morning, but I challenge you to spend some time reading them. And we'll look at just one. Matthew 13, through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus also said in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its its own trouble. Honestly, how much of our lives are spent pursuing these things? People can ascertain the purpose of someone's life by observing their pursuits. Our Declaration of Independence states that we should have the right to the pursuit of happiness. Jesus says, pursue me. The purpose of the kingdom of heaven is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is both the treasure found and the pearl of great value. Which brings us to our third distinction. I stated earlier that part of patriotism stems from the pride one has in the country's government. And I dare say that no matter which party for which you have cast your votes, there is probably at least at times an equal amount of people casting their votes for the other. Democrat, Republican, or Independent, they all fail. Even those among the parties that may be trying to do good, they still fail. Scandals rock our government almost on a daily basis. Bad legislation that hurts our great nation is passed or failed to be revoked all the time. Our presidents have been at times embarrassments. Our courts have been blind to justice, handing down rulings that even young children know is wrong. And these things are only what we are allowed to see. What goes on hidden from the public's eye might be much worse. And yet, we have pride in our country because we believe that the redeeming qualities of our dysfunctional government outweigh its inadequacies. There is no scandal in God's kingdom. There never has been and there never will be. The King, Christ Jesus, stands as the perfect example of truth, righteousness, justice, and holiness. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Revelation 15, verses 3 and 4. Consider also the description of Jesus Christ, the conquering king, in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Brethren, this is our king. Surely this king inspires allegiance and pride in his country. Have we traded the glory of God for the depravity of man? Now, there is a cost exacted by patriotism. We will remember tomorrow those who have given their lives in sacrifice to preserve our nation. They are to be commended and honored by us as Americans. God, indeed, has used them to keep us free, and we thank God for his blessing upon our country. For those of us who have not given our lives in service of this country, we may still be asked to give something patriotism demands, at least in times, the promotion of nationalism at the cost of individualism, a sacrifice, if you will, of personal needs for the greater good of the country. During the last World War, families gave their sons, brothers, fathers, and uncles to the armed forces of America, and many did not return. Women at home went to work in the factories, replacing the now missing men. Families rationed their food and recycled their metals to help the war effort. People invested their money in war bonds to finance the war. All was said and done out of patriotism, a love for one's country. Brethren, there is also a cost exacted on us as citizens in God's kingdom. First, all Christians are called to die to oneself. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. You know, there was a reason Jesus chose the analogy of the cross. Even before he suffered and died on a cross, his disciples knew exactly what a cross meant. There was no escaping the death of a cross. They also knew about the shame of being executed on a cross. This is the kind of sacrifice Jesus was demanding of all of his disciples. The death death of the old nature must be complete. How is your sacrifice going? Have you placed the kingdom's priorities above your own? Have you followed your king's example of a sacrificial life? You see, we like to tell of Jesus' sacrifice that brought us into a right relationship with God. But we do not so much like talking about our own need to sacrifice so that we may be like him. What have you given up to be like your king? Have you given up your own sin? How much of your old self have you been nursing along trying to keep it alive? Brethren, the cross is absolute. No one survives it. Have you ever been crucified with Christ? In a very real sense, the death of the old nature is just the beginning of a life of sacrifice. How much of Jesus' life and ministry was about serving others? I dare say, all of it. Remember, this is our King. As subjects in his kingdom and as his younger siblings, we have a responsibility to be like him. The kingdom of heaven, as we have studied this morning, stands in counterculture to the country in which we physically live. Do those around us even know we have citizenship in heaven? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Matthew 6, verse 24. We cannot serve the culture of America while trying to serve God. The two are not compatible. Our love for one will definitely win over the other. Who then is it that you serve? Who then is it that you love? Brethren, there are many who have given their lives in service of Christ. Missionaries give of their lives to the advancement of the kingdom of God. They not only leave their homes and families, they leave what might have been their futures and dreams as well. And they quite often take their children with them, whether they want to go to outer Uganda or not. Thus, they sacrifice their families for the kingdom of God. Some missionaries also give their physical lives as well, having been murdered by the very people to which they were trying to rescue from the gates of hell. And what of pastors? Generally, they are not called upon to give their physical lives for their parishioners, but they also make great sacrifices for God's kingdom. Some of them not able to make ends meet due to not enough money coming in from the ministry to support them and therefore living in absolute poverty countless hours in preparation of lessons and sermons designed with the needs of the flock under their care in mind, called at all hours of the day and night to minister to those of the church and often to people associated with, but not of, the flock. Or how about this? After biblically counseling and praying fervently for a beloved member of the church for many years, only to have that person turn their back on the church, leave and cause damage to the body of Christ. Now you may say, well, that's their job. They knew this before they got into it. Maybe. But what is your job in the kingdom? Everyone has a job. If you don't know what your job is, then maybe you're not in the kingdom at all. Every one of God's subjects is called to take up his cross daily and follow him. Are you following or are you one that refuses to be led? Jesus said, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Matthew 19, verse 29. My question is, have you left your old land yet? If not, I pray you'll do it soon while today is called today. Is it wrong then to show patriotism for our country? No, I believe we ought to be, I'm going to put this in quotes, proud of our country, but in the context of what God, the true king, has done in it and through it. I believe Francis Scott Key understood something of this. Let me recite to the often not heard fourth and final verse of the Star-Spangled Banner. O, oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. The rally cry of the British remains for God and country. And that should be ours too. God's priorities first, the country's priorities second. We can honor our fallen soldiers And the best way would be to give thanks to God for their sacrifice. Thank you, God, for these men who you divinely appointed to give their lives in order to grant us peace and safety. Is it your desire to be with your king? Do you want to be with Jesus Christ? Do you want to go home? The more I live, the more I, the desire I have to be with King Jesus. I'm middle-aged, and yet I grow ever weary with this world. What does it actually have to offer me? Temporal comfort? If I work long hours and expend great amounts of energy to amass great amounts of wealth, will I be satisfied? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul Mark 8 verse 36 What if I would aspire to be king of this world and somehow achieve it? Even if that happened it would not satisfy Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 2 So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it this also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Should I gain the whole world, I will still die and leave it to someone else. What does it profit me? What does it do for my soul? Nothing. Nothing. Are we living like Abraham, looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God? You know, we have a description of that very city in our Bible. You'll find it in Revelation 21. Revelation 21, starting at verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now on to verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates... He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass." They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, why all the detailed measurements and the description of this city? It is to show us what Abraham and the saints of old could only see at a distance. This is the promised city designed and built by God himself. This is your home, dear Christian. This is the place that Jesus said he was going to prepare for us. And once we cross over the Jordan River, we will enter that city and be with our king forever. Don't you want to be there now? If we're still here, there remains work for us to do. Let's be about our daily sacrifice until God calls us home with the words, Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. To those of you outside the kingdom of God, I dare say to you there is something so much better than this world offers. We are not a cult of people that have been convinced by each other of a lie. We do not blindly follow that which we do not know. We follow God as he has revealed himself in his word. We cannot offer what he hasn't. We cannot believe something that he hasn't revealed. We are bound to believe and do only what Jesus has commanded us to do. And we do so not out of compulsion, but rather out of love for him. All Christians have been taken out of the kingdom of the world and been brought into God's kingdom and his family. We have not just become a part of a nation. We are actually adopted as part of his family. We don't have anything special about us that caused God to look favorably on us. All we ever did before God's intervention was sin, and we were pretty good at it too. But God in mercy reached down into the muck of our lives and washed us with the blood of his son and made us presentable to him. A sacrifice indeed was made, but we didn't make it. For our sake, he, that is God the Father, made him, that is he, Jesus Christ the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Sacrifice was made by both God the Father and God the Son. God sacrificed his Son, and the Son willingly sacrificed his life, so that the penalty for our sins would be made. And now, we have peace with God. You can have peace with God as well. God says in Romans 10, verses 9 and following, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is a war coming between this world and God Almighty. We have read some of the passages concerning our king this morning. The outcome of this war has already been decided. You will be on one side or the other. There is no neutral ground. We read Psalm 2, is our scripture for meditation. We're going to read it as we close. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Kiss the son. Make peace with God. Ask him to bring you into his family. Ask him to save you. He is able and he is willing do it today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such a wonderful king as the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Lord, for placing our roots in this world and forgetting our true citizenship, for living like we belong here and not living like where we really belong in heaven. I pray, Lord, that you will cause us this today to take up our cross. Help us to put to death the old nature who desires to serve itself. And in place, Lord, let us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. I pray, Lord, that you'll grant repentance to us. And for those outside of your kingdom today, Lord, I pray that you will take them from the kingdom of this world and that you would be merciful and gracious to them and bring them into a right relationship with you through your Son. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory. Amen. Our final hymn today is 571 in the Brown. 571 in the Brown. Let's stand as we sing, please.
1: My country is a the sweet land of. His.
3: Or dismissed.
0: I'm an excellent <laughs> so I get a, uh, a I get a hard Well, I so wonderful to see you Lord. I'm sorry that you're right. so, no, so,
1: so much yeah. a, to um, yeah. take care of, and then you're okay. yeah. yeah. I alright? Okay.
0: But <laughs> okay. church down in okay. the pro-western, yeah. we just lay everything over yeah. for dinner, and I got to visit oh, the fellowship nice. yes. So I finally had to actually meet people in yeah. person, and you. my other would not have any heard of me. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a blast anyway. Was time. Time. Are you serious? Yeah. No. No. I have yes. to do
1: She's a small dancer out there. She's yeah. 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 uh, just, just yeah. yeah. uh, uh, on
2: Yeah. 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 I don't know if this is I true, but I heard
0: of someone in. recently was <laughs> the same so crack. Myself.